Fiction by the Three Little Sisters. The Three Little Sisters is an independent publishing house celebrating unique and one-of-a-kind titles. If you're looking for your new favorite book, head over to The Three Little Sisters at www.thethreelittlesisters.com and pick up one of our fantastic publications. Today on the podcast, we're doing it a little bit differently as uh, we are exploring some different options on how to make this podcast a little bit better. So forgive our dust as we testing out Skype recording. And today on the program, we have our wonderful executive coordinator, Shiel Mian Baruvi. Hey, Shiel, how are you doing? Pretty good, you. Thanks. Hopefully everybody understands that we are kind of still... Uh, playing around here <laughs> getting our getting our bearings podcast apparently yeah and, I, yeah and apparently i'm still learning how to english so yeah <laughs> yeah and podcasting is something new for us so, you know we're traditionally publishers not podcasters so you have to forgive us as we navigate this new thing but anyway today we are going to be talking about the wonderful subject of steampunk and particularly steampunk in writing Last month, we were really focused on writing, and unfortunately, our ravens flying over the ocean lost our podcast. But in that, we were talking about how we as authors kind of put together ideas, and maybe we can just do a short overview of that last podcast if um, we sort of recall what we were all talking about. But basically, to summarize, uh, at least from my perspective, it was really honing in on as a writer, not being able or not being afraid to go personal, not being afraid to add your own take on things and using research and methods to come up with your best overall uh, presentation of your material. Yeah, that pretty much covers it along with uh, writer's tools was what we were talking about as well, like Grammarly and Liquid Story Binder. Uh, there's actually a post on our blog about Liquid Story Binder. Um, we were talking about things like uh, AI for iPad and just one recently that you were using, Notepad. There's a Notepad free version and there's a Notepad plus version. Exactly. So we were just talking about all of those, you know, wonderful things that we have these days that writers haven't always had access to. And that gives us, you know, a much better, broader availability to make different kinds of books. In fact, I even uh, found a really cool one, which I wanted to share with all of you out there. Uh, There is a wonderful piece of software that creates interactive children's books. So for people that are looking to uh, animate their children's books, it's called Kotobi, which is K-O-T-O-B-E-E.com. And it allows you to create interactive eBooks for children. So you can add it in pop-ups or sound and really give your books life. And children really love that. If they can get access to a book on a app, they love playing around in the book and seeing how it works. In fact, I really encourage parents that if you're trying to get your children to do something educational, because those iPads are sometimes a beautiful thing for time, but often a bad thing for allowing our children to kind of, you know, do something off of a screen. Um, it, iTunes, or um, not iTunes, I'm sorry, uh, KDP uh, and Kindle have wonderful selections of children's books, and some of them are free. So you can grab things like Alice in Wonderland and other things like that. There's also some apps now that allow you to go 3D into the books. Uh, There's one that allows you to explore the world of Beatrix Potter in three dimensions. So children can actually watch the rabbits hopping around in the storybook. 
is super fun. So please don't be afraid to check out those educational apps and just tell your kids that they're games. So on to our discussion about steampunk. When we really talk about steampunk and writing, I kind of think we should look at, you know, steampunk as an overall genre because a lot of people think that steampunk is just dressing up with gadgets and gears. And I don't really think that that's all there is to it. Do you? No, actually. Um, when I did the, a little bit of the research, because I'm not as familiar with steampunk as you or Sarah are, um, very little experience with it. So I did research before I did that one post about steampunk. And it turns out that steampunk has two main um, branches, so to speak. One is where it's in the future, but you've got the low-key tech that you see from Victorian times, like steam engines and, you know, the low-key stuff that you, you, you don't see now, like carb combustion engines. But then you've got your past where you're sitting in Victorian times or the Wild West and you see the high-tech laser guns and all that in that kind of a genre. So there's two main branches of steampunk. So it's not just gears and metal and leather. It's more than that. Exactly. And I actually found out something really interesting as well that a lot of people feel that steampunk is sort of a cultural thing and that it's uh, about using pieces and parts to make something new. So it's not just about representing a particular genre like science fiction or or Victorian mixed with future or Victorian mixed with past or past with, past with mixed with future. Oh my goodness, my tongue is getting tired today. Um, <clears throat> it really is a way of repurposing items and making something completely different. Exactly, and uh, I find a lot of genres um, use steampunk without even realizing it. Uh, you've got your you've got your Dark Tower series that uses kind of along the lines of steampunk. You've got um, Harry Potter's kind of got a little bit of steampunk in there, just not a lot, but enough of an insinuation. And then you've got your movies like Aliens and Cowboys. That's totally steampunk. That's Wild Wild West with advanced technology. Exactly. So there really is a variation on what uh, really qualifies as, quote, steampunk. <laughs> uh, the one thing I really love about steampunk personally is the fact that it harkens back to a historical period in which Victorians were completely obsessed with learning about technology. There's a wonderful uh, documentary on YouTube. It was originally broadcast on the BBC called The Dangers of the Victorian Home. And in that series, she talked about how the Victorians were so obsessed with technology and really bettering their lives. And so many of the inventions that they came up with were, of course, at the time, extremely deadly. Like they had a self-heating bathtub that was heated by electricity. Like that's not really safe. And they had a lot of things that they were trying to do uh, to make their lives better. And I kind of feel like steampunk is paying tribute to that. And you also had this period of time in the Victorian era where you had writers thinking about the future. You had Jules Verne, uh, Mary Shelley with her Frankenstein. You had Tesla. You had, you know, these great scientists coming out with all these crazy things. And I'm sure that they got inspired to, like, what could possibly be invented with these things? 
And so now when people are looking, hearkening back to forlorn times, it's sort of this way of, of cementing something that's always existed, our desire to understand our past and really to put a somewhat nostalgic wrap around like what could have been if that actually happened. Yeah, and steampunk kind of goes hand in hand with post-apocalyptic kind of genres too, right? So, it, I mean, I'll look at Badlands uh, from, I think it's AMC that does Badlands. Uh, that's a lot of uh, steampunk and post-apocalyptic mixed together. Yes, and if anybody's watching the new series on Amazon Prime <laughs> with Orlando Bloom, there's a wonderful series there Uh the name is escaping me. I will Google it one second here. Um, but uh, the whole story is uh, basically uh, entirely steampunk. <laughs> it's called Carnival. And basically it follows, uh, or Carnival Row. Orlando Bloom is a detective and Kara Delavungi, I hope I'm spelling her name right. I'm sorry if I didn't, is a fairy. And inside of it there's fairies and... Um, sort of mythical type creatures living together in this world. Uh, it's incredibly steampunk. And if you're looking for inspiration on costumes, that would be an amazing, <laughs> amazing show to watch just to see like the extensive costumes that they developed. I would say too that uh, Neil Gaiman's Stardust that we spoke about in the past on a separate podcast would be kind of steampunkish too, wouldn't it? Yeah, in a way it sort of is. It's mixing, you know, past things with future things. And I and I think it sort of has those elements in them. In fact, even uh, movies like The Golden Compass uh, really had a lot of steampunks elements in it. Uh, as well as, like, there's, like, hundreds of thousands of examples um, in which you can find in film, especially, that they hearken back to the past and kind of, like, find elements that they can mix into their future. It kind of makes recreationists a little bit angry sometimes because they're not fully accurate but I think in terms of like literary accuracy there is no such a thing like you can be accurate or inaccurate it's there's not really anyone to tell you oh in 19th century they didn't have that if you're working in a fantastical landscape it doesn't really matter what they had or didn't have you can put it there uh, and imagine what that world would be like if it was totally different yeah, and that brings to the fact that, you know, historical fiction sh is fiction, and you can do whatever you want with fiction. Yeah, you don't have to reflect what was true. And, and with that in mind, we're going to advertise our first book here called Forlorn Hope. It is exactly up the alley of steampunk fans. In 16th century, Europe is filled with elves, dwarves, and others as the story unfolds in the steampunk landscape of Forlorn Hope. Join Wolfram as he discovers his heritage and fights to clear his name. Forlorn Hope weaves military themes into a fantasy landscape with mystery dashed in. Will Wolfram survive where others have failed? Will he ever clear his name? You can find this book today on our website for pre-order. We have 10 available for pre-order only. And that is at our website right on the front page now. There's a beautiful new cart where you can purchase your books right there. So if you're looking to grab your copy before it goes live in November, do it today. And a limited run of 10 at $15 USA or USC dollars. And so continuing on with our talk about 
it's steampunk and this episode is not going to be as long as our other ones have because steampunk really speaks for itself in my opinion and we've done a lot of blog posts this month about it if people are interested in discovering more about our take on steam uh, steampunk just check out our blog at quoth the publisher so moving on shield do you think that um people can sort of like overuse steampunk when they're writing i would say so um you know well like anything else moderation is key it, it does i steampunk erotica romance thriller crime scenes murder all of that definitely moderation is key i mean you still want to leave room for the reader's imagination too and what their interpretation might be as well exactly and i think sometimes you can overuse any genre or anything really Uh, like you just said it's writers can go overboard so you don't want to keep adding what seems to be almost ridiculous or implausible into your books. You can be implausible to some degree, but at some point it just becomes ridiculous and then you lose the reader. And I kind of feel that that's walking a very fine line. Uh, For example, to some degree or other, uh, sometimes certain authors lose a degree of respectability when they start changing a thing too much. We've discussed this in that books to film adaptation where we said that authors can make the mistake of transforming a character beyond what the person thinks or knows about that specific person or thing or creature or whatever you want to put that archetype in. So the same can be true about overusing genres. You can make a mistake of putting too much into a specific theme. For example, Case in point, the movie Pathfinder. If anyone ever watched this movie, you'll understand exactly what I mean. Space alien comes down to Old Norse village. That's all you have to say. Okay, so uh, in there, they went way overboard. They allowed him to learn Old Norse too quickly. The people were uh, a little bit strange in it. The movie tried really hard, but it kind of went overboard. And I I think you can go too hard, too fast, or use too many weird things, and then it just starts making sense. Uh, And then you lose people. (laughs) So just be very careful when you're adding any kind of genre, whether it be erotica, steampunk, uh, science fiction, that you're not losing the reader. With that in mind, Sheil, is there anything... um, in the realm of steampunk that people should specifically read in order to get help to develop uh, their love of adding steampunk in? Well, I certainly would say, like I always say, is do your research if you don't know enough. Ask people who are actually from the community of steampunk, because there is a community, and you're right, it is a cultural lifestyle as well. Uh, You'll see it a lot at um, cons, like uh, Dragon Con and Comic Con. You'll see a lot of steampunk there. If you don't know enough about the topic, definitely ask the community. Ask them what they want to see. You know, it's it's it, because if you if you don't, then you're inaccurate for the steampunk genre. Yeah, and to me, I would say like read things like Jules Verne, go back in history and discover 
elements of Victorian culture that you could be really fascinated by or interested in. Uh, for example, Sherlock Holmes is another yeah, good Sherlock one. Yeah, Holmes. Sherlock Holmes is a really great one. Uh, there's a wonderful community online that we mentioned uh, throughout the blog last month when we were talking about steampunk. And it actually lists a selection of books, uh, comic books, um, limited run materials that were produced during the Victorian age that actually talk about steampunk. So that is an incredible resource if you're looking for more information on how to add this particular genre into your writing. And, and really, if you wanted to uh, develop more of a love or interest in steampunk, check out the Victorian Fair, the Dickens Victorian Fair in San Francisco, California, if you're in the neighborhood. They have a lot of people there, and there are books and tons of pamphlets and information, as well as reenactors, who can help you actually develop uh, your steampunk characters. There's even a steampunk designing group in that uh, building that will help you design costumes. So really take advantage of the people that are there. They're all really super cool, have no problem with you asking um, more questions and we'll be glad to help you develop your true Victorian self if you want. So it's a really super fun fair and, and people should check it out. Um, other than and that. to reiterate yeah. with that too, sorry for cutting you off. No, you're um, even to go further back in time, if you want to go to uh, medieval time to mix with your steampunk, hit up a, a community of Kobulture as well. One of our authors over in Aussie, Australia, uh, Warwick, is all into the Kobulture culture and lifestyle and community. So you've even got that as well if you want to go further back and do more medieval kind of steampunk as well. Don't forget to ask that community as well, because they're more than happy to talk shop. Who doesn't like top, talking shop, right? Yeah, when it's your passion, you'll find people that have no problem opening up on the things that they enjoy and like. And as specific, I think, in particular, when artists uh, are recreating certain things, like, for example, costumers, reenactors, people who work for the SCA, and if people don't know what I'm talking about, Google's your friend. But the SEA is an entire community dedicated to reenacting medieval, medieval life. And they have hundreds of thousands of resources, including free patterns, including, um, you know, just about everything you could possibly ever need. So you don't have to be, like, well-researched into these areas to get started. A lot of these communities know that you're coming in with nothing. And we'll often lend you uh, materials, give you access to information, and often give you a good subset of books that you should start off reading. A lot of these genres will take a lot of research <laughs> to discover where they came from, uh, where, where they're going, and how to really incorporate them in your life and in writing. So for me, um, what I've taken away in the last two months when we've been talking about writing is that... It really comes down to fi finding your passion for what subject matter you really enjoy, but also finding just your passion for art itself. To me, writing has always been an art form. Uh, I don't see it any other way. So I view each book as a thing that I'm really specifically crafting, um, really specifically creating. And so for me, that requires research. and and a deep dedication into following the strands that 
you will need to follow in order to develop that thing. Do you agree with that, Sheila? Like, do you think that when you're writing, it's not just you, it, that you need to reach out outside of yourself? Because as an artist, that's what we do. Well, absolutely. As somebody who both writes and is a, a drawer and a painter and a graphics designer, it's very much similar. Uh, you have to step out of your own skin to look in on the art to see what other people see. You know, it's like speaking to the person in their own language, even though, you know, you're writing in your language at the same time. Yeah, I just find that Sometimes I feel like people are afraid of doing research or, or maybe it's just very difficult for us to sit down and think, okay, I want to write this genre, so I'm going to have to go back and read, you know, go back and go back further, maybe read harder books that, that maybe not even in the language that you speak. For example, as a heathen, I can speak to this in, incredibly narrowly <laughs> because in order to understand my religion, my culture, I sometimes have to go to languages that I do not understand or may have a hard time uh, reading. For example, Old English, uh, Old Norris, Proto-Norris, and reading translations from people that have tried to translate the work and showing you the originals and showing you the translations, it requires you to then go one step further and research another thread. And every time you get to that thread, another one unravels. And more and more and more as you go down and down and down in, until you find what you're looking for. And that, to me, is how I led myself to discovering different parts of my religious faith. So I feel like research and willingness to dive into it is something that many of us resist because it takes a lot of work. But as a writer, I don't think any of us could live without research. I was just watching Margo Atwood being interviewed this week because her new book, The Testaments, is coming out. And I heard her say the most profound thing, and this is exactly how I feel about writing. She said that she doesn't want to always feel like you're just weird. Everything in her books, she said, has been from some point in history. And so she uses research as her number one skill. And I was like, I really admire that, because to me, so do I. When I'm researching things, I don't just go, oh, Google me foo, <laughs> although sometimes that helps. Um, for me, research is, as Sheila knows me very well, like two weeks later, I'm still digging around old bookshelves somewhere trying to find some obscure meaning. Yes, I definitely know that very well. Sometimes even a month later, she she's telling me about something that she came across for research that she was doing a month ago. A case in point for us, for our co-project, is Bone Jar. I mean, researching all that, uh, how profilers work, how, you know, a coroner might do their their paperwork or how a depart one de police department might do it differently from the FBI or, you know, a Canadian will do it this way or American departments do it this way. Doing that background research, it was, it's, it's lengthy. It's a whole job in, in its own as well. Yeah, and new things will crop up, like, I'll talk about the bone jar, too, since you are. Um, I was reading an article where this woman had discovered that dead bodies move, and, and I say that, I know that sounds 
weird like I'm, they're not getting up and moving <laughs> but that when you die um, because your body becomes limp and begins to disintegrate your limbs migrate because the ground is moving we're like we're not solid so limbs will as they dislocate from the body as bones get loose the skeleton will actually move uh, and it can move quite far from the original place that the person died this helped me kind of write more into bone jar because I thought about that and I thought about how the killers may uh, have made mistakes in their placement of the bodies. I'll just go as far as that. I'm not going to go farther. <laughs> I don't want to give away too much. If but, you're writing something similar to for the listeners out there, you might want to pick up a book called um, uh, The Body Farm. That'll oh, give yeah. you a lot more information, and it's an actual real place in Kansas. He actually has several areas. I don't remember the doctor's name. Uh, he has a PhD in anthropology and uh, I think forensic sciences or something or such. Um, so he has this body farm in Kansas where people donate their bodies to his research and how does a body decompose while it's partially in water and partially not on and where it's on land? Temperature changes, the wick effect. You want the body farm and you'll also want uh, time of death by Jessica something. I can't remember her last name, but we'll have the links up for you so that you can find those. Yeah, it's really neat how all the conversations in the last two podcasts, even the one that disappeared to the ocean, has been around the same thought that writing is more than just typing out words. We've now covered the fact that it includes getting personal. It includes doing research. It includes, you know, reading the latest findings on whatever subject matter you're writing on. I think, you know, authors wear so many different hats and many people think that we don't really know our subject matter well, but you would be incredibly surprised how well uh, half the authors I know can speak with PhD level knowledge on the weirdest subjects because they have researched it and yep. have researched it to the point that they are now considered to be the ones that people call upon when they need information or they need to go further in their research. And, and, and in turn, when someone discovers something new, I find that the writers who have already written those things actually love that because we're not sitting here going like, don't prove me wrong. We, we want to grow and evolve and change. So if, if you find something different, we often go back and amend what we wrote or maybe make the next one with that updated information. So we all help each other in collectively researching subjects that we all kind of find fascinating. But it's funny how, Authors, you know, have to walk around sometimes and be like, like, I swear I'm not a serial killer. <laughs> like, I swear, I swear I'm not actually attempting to commit crimes. I swear I'm not, you know, attempting to know what drugs could poison someone. Like, I we're not swear, really Google, trying to do anything. Yeah. Google looks at some of my searches and goes, that is a serial killer right there. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. FBI so over here, the Suzer right here. Yeah, let's just make sure that you uh, keep your draft notes. <laughs> let's just put in case somebody comes. I have proof that I was doing research. Exactly. So, you know, I think that's what our last two podcasts have been about. Just don't be afraid to continue on in your research. Don't be afraid to come to dead ends. 
don't be, don't be afraid. afraid to call it a full-time job because it is. Yeah, don't let people knock you down just because they think that writing isn't a job. <laughs> it is a job. It's a full-time job. Trust me, we know. Um, we're the publishers who are spending the full-time producing the work that you're writing full-time. So we understand that. <clears throat> uh, the second ad we're running today is for the book The Underground by Rory Shoemaker. It's her first book with us at The Three Little Sisters. When the most wanted man, Dionysus, is lured into Cynthia's small town of Sion, she finds herself swept up in this dangerously exciting world. Cynthia begins a new life in the underground city, where a nest of criminals, spurred by the rest of the world, resides. You can pick this book up today for the price of $12 right on our website or in the digital version at the link provided. You'll notice in the cart that we've actually put links to all of the digital versions of each of our book. But the ASIN number is your friend. If you have the Kindle app on your smartphone or tablet or iOS or wherever you're using, grab that code, copy and paste it into your Kindle app and it will bring up that title immediately. Just click on buy and you'll have it within seconds. So that's a very quick and easy way to grab your Kindle version directly from us. So I guess to wrap this whole up because Next month, we are totally flipping gears, and we are about to bring back the much-anticipated return of Troy and Ivy. So to wrap up the last two months, Sheila, is there anything else you'd kind of like to like recap on the subject of writing in general? The recap for me would be don't give up. Keep writing. Even if it sounds to you like it's crap, even if it reads like it's crap, and you think it's crap, it's not. As long as you just keep writing. I would agree with that sentiment. And then we have a cat showing up because she heard that we're going to the Muscles Meows car show, right? <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. In the background, I've got Asriel chattering around. And I've got another one, Jade, who's just approaching for a desktop supervisor moment. Because we all, you know, we work from home, so we aren't, our cats are here. But that, you know, she just reminded me that uh, on October the 5th, the third annual Muscles, Mutts, and Meows car show is on. If anybody's going down there to Santa Maria, we will be at the Elks Lodge 1538 at 1309 North Bradley, Santa Maria, California. It will be going on all day between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. So don't forget to show up there. We will be there. Uh, our big booth and lovely gift from Hunter Woods is our logo all carved out in wood. I'll be showing that today. It's just getting finished up with paint, but it looks absolutely fantastic. I, got, I snuck a peek at that one <laughs> online and I was like, ooh, that's pretty. You guys are going to want to see that. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. And Hunter Wentz is, uh, he's my husband, so I'm, you know, going to promote him all I want. But uh, he makes the most gorgeous wood items. He does three-dimensional carves uh, with a CNC machine. He does 3D printing at home, and he's just amazing. And if you really want something custom and crafted, check out Hunter Woods. He's on Facebook, and he does do custom requests. Uh, right now, he's a little bit backed up, but he's got some gorgeous wood out in that shed that's just waiting for a home. So please check him out because he's a really good carver. Uh, next up, uh, next month, we will just give a slight hint because 
Sheila, we are going to do something really interesting, aren't we? And using a new platform that we're trying to kind of somewhat promote, just dropping hints here. So uh, what was that platform's name again? I totally oh, forget. <laughs> Patreon? Yeah, yeah, that one, yeah. So uh, what, what are we doing over there on Patreon with the bone jar? Oh, we've got videos, we've got case notes, we've got... Um... We've got crime scene photos, and some of it you'll be able to get your hands on without having to be a patron, but a good chunk of it, like uh, author notes, um, character builds, you're going to want to jump into our Patreon as for as little as $2 a month. You can get a hold of all of our, our character builds, our plots, our behind-the-scenes of Bone Jar. Yep, and we're going to have a special little uh, beautiful banner that's going to be going up there by the end of today. And we'll actually say the bone jar on it. And if you click on that, we're going to start that entry at just the $2 mark. We're not even going to ask you for more than that. We're just going to ask you to chip in 2 bucks a month. So for $24 a year, that's right, right? Yes, times. about that. Yeah. Uh, I'm the accountant <laughs> here. I should know, right? My math skills are, this is why I'm into art. Anyway, um, for that little price of a year, it helps us support content. So what we've been doing with our Patreon money, not we haven't really had any Patreons yet, but we're hoping to get some. But our plan of what to do with our Patreon donations is that we are actually going to start a one-for-one -one book drive. So what's going to happen is, you're going to start seeing some uh, curious publications popping up that we're not going to give you too much information on. But every time yep. we publish, right, yet, but every time we publish the, one of these little special editions, every time you buy one, we're going to donate one. So we're going to take that Patreon money, the $2 a month, and we're going to put it towards paying for copies. Where are these copies going to go? Your local library. Where else are they going to go? Your local school. So we're going to be providing books to the world, also donating occasionally to the book fairies. If you don't know who the book fairies are and you're in California, then you need to find out who they are. The book fairies are a group of volunteers that run around California donating books. They leave books strapped to unusual objects, such as the lamppost outside of the Winchester Mansion. If you're driving around California and see a book just sitting there, pick it up and donate one of yours for free. It helps spread the word and gives free books to everyone. It's a wonderful way of providing free reading out there to the world. I'm definitely all for spreading literary works and spreading, you know, being literate, being able to read. That is something that's very important for our youth is learning how to read. Yeah, and the sad truth is not very many people have access to libraries anymore. So we will be also providing a way for you on our website. If you are a, an incredibly low-income household or you need some books to help uh, qualify for your child to get their um, AR levels up, we will actually be providing a link that your school can uh, fill out on your behalf, and we will actually send a copy to the class. So, for example, if you have a classroom full of kids that doesn't have a lot of books because your school's been defunded, we will help with that. All you have to do is just apply, tell us why your school deserves some free books, and we will basically help you provide one classroom with an entire library of children's books. 
And that applies over here on Canada side as yeah. well, considering, especially Ontario, considering we've seen a lot of educational cuts, uh, library funding cuts. So it does apply on this side as well. So if you're Canadian, it applies to you too. We're just trying to help promote and help um, our authors as well, but also just promote the idea of literacy and reading. So if you want to help benefit any of those programs that I just mentioned, throw in two bucks. It's the price of a coffee in Canada, at least. <laughs> Here's, it'd be a little bit more than that for a coffee. but It's uh, actually a penny more than a Tim Hortons large. Well, that's not too bad at all. So with all that in mind, uh, we're going to start wrapping up this episode. And next month, we cannot wait as the thrilling, slashing return of Ivy and Troy resume. But I'm not going to give you too many details because they're still preparing the ultimate experience. But I can warn you, you better be ready because it's about to get totally immersive. And with all that, we're going to say goodbye and thank you all for tuning in. Hopefully our bumps and bruises going through learning podcasting will not be too hard to bear. Uh, we're still getting this format going. So please bear with us as we figure it all out. You can follow us on Facebook at The Three Little Sisters and also follow at Nevermore Ravens as the Ravens now have their own Facebook page and we'll be squawking out all of the advertising for the podcast as well as playing all of the podcast video and audio. We want to give a big thanks to Mobile Sounds for all the work they have done. They will be still doing the final uh, prep for all of the releasing of all of our audio. Then you can check them out at Mobile Sounds DJ. And with all that in mind, we hope you have a wonderful September and we'll see you in Spooktober.